Hi, this is Dr. William Renner. Thank you for joining me in this podcast on evidence-based medicine. I'm here today with world-famous gastroenterologist and nutritionist, Dr. Alan Safdie. Uh, Dr. Safdie, let's talk about sleep. I know it's important uh, for people, and as I get older, I have more and more trouble sleeping. Uh, give me some information about sleep. All right, well, Bill, we'll get into some of the recent studies um, and more epidemiologic data rather than a true study. Um, but more than about a third of Americans, you're not unusual, uh, are not getting enough sleep on a regular basis and report sleeping less than seven hours daily. And that was from the CDC. Um, so you're not unusual. A lot of people, especially as they get older, have trouble sleeping. But getting enough sleep, you know, is really important. It keeps our immune system functioning smoothly. Um, even decreases your risk of a myocardial infarction, a heart attack. Uh, sleep is important to decrease your risk of obesity, diabetes, and other chronic health conditions. Um, and previously, we said studies show adults both, you know, whether you're young, whether you're old, um, or in between, you know, need somewhere between seven to nine hours of sleep. And a recent study looked at seven hours being this, the sweet spot, and we'll get into that data because it's really... If somebody sleeps eight hours, I don't want them to worry about it. If they sleep six and a half hours, I don't want them to worry about it. But sleeping too much is definitely not good, and sleeping too little is not good. Um, so if we look, let's look at epidemiology first. And if we look around the world, where the regions of the world where people that live the longest, um, most of those areas, they do sleep between seven and nine hours per night. And they take short naps if they're going to take naps. And we know that sleep helps by reducing stress load. It helps by reducing the risk of heart disease. Uh, some studies all the way up to 34% and reduction. So, you know, how do you improve the ability to sleep? And part of the problem we have nowadays is we look at screens before we go to bed, um, which releases a light that may interfere with that. They watch television before going to bed. Um, the old way was reading a book, reading an article. If people need sleep, listen to one of our podcasts um, and they'll fall asleep <laughs> yeah, very quickly. Yeah, not put anyone to sleep. The, so, uh, you know, create so, a bedtime. So reading a, book, so reading a book is, is healthier for you than for reading a screen or watching a TV. How long should you do that before you plan on going to bed? Well, part of it is creating a bedtime routine. A bedtime routine helps you fall asleep easier. Um and, you know, not going to bed at 10 o'clock one night and 1 a.m. the next night, um, you know, that really plays heck with, the, you know, with our circadian rhythms. Um, we may be less alert the next day. You know, for the hour or two before you go to bed, minimize, you know, disruptions. Minimize disruptions while you're sleeping. Uh, decrease the amount of light within a bedroom. Um, people that are exposed to more light and bright street lights and other things report more trouble going to sleep. So sleeping in a darker room helps in regards to secretion of melatonin. Um, light, dis light exposure at night disrupts our circadian rhythm and affects your levels of melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. Um, so, but you know, your question about disconnecting from electronic devices, whether it be a mobile phone or laptop, or any of that, you know, at a minimum a half hour before you go to bed. Um, 
you know, I say an hour for myself um, that I don't look at those for an hour before I go to bed uh, and I can fall asleep in seconds. But, um, you know, I think that's really important that we take a look at that. So let's talk a little bit about this recent study because this made headlines everywhere. Now, did you see the study, you know, the amount of sleep that's optimal and minimal in old age? Um, no, I didn't see that one. Okay. Well, it was a recent study. And, you know, the headlines made into a lot of papers was seven hours of sleep is optimal in middle and old age. Um, and what they did is they looked at cognitive performance, you know, how well you can think, your mental health and a variety of other factors. Did not look at some of the other things that I mentioned before, obesity, diabetes, some of those other health aspects. And it was a large study. Um, and they examined people between the ages of 38 and 73 um, from a biobank in the UK. And the data came out of the UK and China. And they figured out it was kind of a U-shaped curve. You, you fall off, if you imagine upside down U, at the top of that U, you're doing really well. You know, seven hours was the top of that U. You know, seven to nine, still pretty close to the top of the U. Um, but insufficient sleep and excessive sleep were associated with impaired cognitive performance. Um, you know, whether too much or too little, uh, but seven hours of sleep, at least for cognitive performance, not for myocardial infarctions, not for some of these other side effects looked to be the best. Um, what are the problems with the study? So you, re everybody reads the headlines, um, and said, okay, you know, I shouldn't get just four hours sleep. I shouldn't get, you know, um, I shouldn't get over 10 hours sleep. You know, that's bad. Um, and they adjusted for a lot of variables in this, um, and, but really monitored just cognitive performance. So when you're looking at this article, think of cognitive performance. Don't think of myocardial infarction, obesity, diabetes, that, you know, has a much bigger leeway mainly well, between six and a half and eight and a half hours of sleep would be fine. Yeah. A lot of people um, call me and ask me about, uh, they're able to go to sleep, but then they wake up about after four hours, like um, three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, they can't get to, can't get back to sleep. Um, what about those people? What should they do? Well, that's not uncommon also. Um, you know, part of it is taking a look at their, you know, the routine, what they do, um, you know, realizing that sleep is one of the biggest risk factors for chronic disease. Uh, so it's really important that we get, you know, enough sleep. Um, you know, I usually use um, advice you've given me in the past. Uh, we sleep in an extremely dark room. There are no lights. It's, it's perfectly dark. Um, some people talk about uh, melatonin. Other people say, you know, to get to sleep, you drink a warm glass of milk before you go to bed. You know, there's all, all kinds of these uh, uh, different, uh, different things. If you wake up at four o'clock, should you take a half of a melatonin or, you know, three milligrams of melatonin? Is that helpful? Um, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Well, melatonin, first of all, is a normal hormone, but it's it is not a sleeping pill um, and it can leave people groggy the next day. It's great for changing time zones, uh, especially when I fly overseas or giving lectures other places in different time zones. 
the amount your body produces is a tiny, tiny amount. And the amount sold in these pills is a very large amount. Um, and there are potential side effects for this. Um, I, I really like the idea of not having to rely on melatonin or other aids uh, to get to sleep. Uh, you don't need less sleep when you get older. Uh, we need just as much sleep as we did previously. And, you know, we don't want to just focus on this cognitive decline in dementia. We want to focus on everything, whether it be anxiety, depression. Um, you know, what you can do, as I mentioned before, some people eat a large meal late at night. Uh, that can trigger reflux that wakes them up. It might even be silent heartburn that wakes them up at night. Um, so, you know, decreasing your large meals, you know, as in a lot of the blue zones, they're larger meals in the middle of the day. Um, making sure blue light and electronics, which suppress melatonin, are avoided. So you can make your own melatonin. Um, and, and as I said, I do that for at least an hour before I go to sleep. Um, and that means not re, you know, reading on a tablet. If you want to read, read on a book in a dimly lit room. Not watching television um, in close to bedtime, which most people do, which suppresses melatonin. So we can make our own melatonin. Not getting heartburn. Uh, get in daytime exercise. Exercise boosts the effect of the sleep hormones like melatonin, uh, especially if it's done in bright daylight uh, you know, during the day. Uh, there was a study years ago, I think it's been probably almost 13 or 14 years ago in 2010 um that found that people older people in which i hate to mention 55 and older they called them older people mm -hmm. who exercise about four times a week for about a half hour had easier time falling asleep than those who do not exercise you know set yourself up for sleep um make sure the room's not too hot uh dim the lights make sure your bedroom is cool not hot i mean the hotter we sleep better when it's a little bit cooler. Um, and, you know, some people like white noise machines or wave machines or other things to keep themselves awake. And if you do wake up, don't worry about it. Don't become anxious. That's not uncommon for people to wake up uh, at night. Um, and one of the problems, some people take exceptionally long naps during the day, and then they're not going to sleep as well. Um, you know, sleeping pills, um, you know, are somewhat dicey in my opinion. Um, and I am not in favor of sleeping pills um, for most people. So uh, now what about me, naps? Do naps contribute to people waking up in the middle of the night? Are they a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it, it depends. I mean, naps are not a bad thing. Um, in a lot of populations, they do nap. But, they, you know, a lot of people, at least patients that we've encountered, take naps that are an hour or two or three hour naps during the day. Um, and those are really not, you know, things that we really want to uh, tell people, you know, if I take a nap, which I almost never do, but if I did, I would set a timer for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, but it wouldn't be any longer than that. Um, one of the things I'd be negligent to mention is, you know, when should you get more help? Um, you know, why are you waking up in the middle of the night? Do you have sleep apnea? Uh, do you have something else that's waking you up in the middle of the night? And a lot of people have silenced sleep apnea. Um, you yeah. Know, so sleep the, the good news too, I understand, um, 
from uh, friends of mine at Children's Hospital, they were telling me that you don't have to spend the night in a sleep lab anymore. They actually have some electronic devices just kind of hooked to your PO2, you know, it's just hooked to your fingers. You sleep at night and then they can tell you whether or not, um, you know, you have sleep apnea. So it's not the big deal that it used to be to evaluate sleep apnea. Uh, no, it used to be we'd send people into the hospital. They'd be monitored overnight and they'd sleep in a place they couldn't sleep. Um, because they're sitting there in an unfamiliar circumstances. But what we're checking is, uh, you know, the computer's checking is eye movements, heart rate, breathing patterns, blood oxygen levels as you sleep. And you're right, this can all be done at home by using sensors on different areas, such as on your chest, your legs, your small clip on your finger or ear to measure your oxygen uh, saturation. And sleep benefits can help pinpoint problems that you may be having. Um, such as snoring um, and, you know, obstruction of the sleep area. So obstructive sleep apnea untreated can be a risk for, you know, heart disease and hypertension and strokes and diabetes and a variety of things. So there are times to get help, but waking up at night, just the worst thing is to wake up at night and get really nervous that I woke up and not being able to go back to sleep. Just sit there and relax. Um, And people have mechanisms for getting back to sleep. I usually do complex calculations which put me to sleep in a minute uh, if I can't get back to sleep. Um, but, you know, people can take a look at different mechanisms for getting back to sleep. But I, I think the importance of sleep is great. You're going to see these articles um, that talk about, you know, the data um, from this study uh, from Dr. Ma. Uh, and just remember there was an observational study it was self-reported, um, but it's really important that uh, four hours of sleep or less was clear cut that that's a high risk factor. 10 hours or more was a significant risk factor. Uh, seven hours was the top of the U or the bottom of the U, whichever way you face it as being ideal. But that means, you know, six hours might be fine. Eight hours might be fine for most people. Um, you know, don't think because I'm sleeping seven hours and 30 minutes that I made a mistake. Um, this is not that kind of study that we can pinpoint things to that degree. So, you know, sleep is important. Again, if you have problems sleeping, folks, you know, put a, pull up any one of our old podcasts and I guarantee you within five or 10 minutes, you'll be asleep. <laughs> well, Alan, again, that was a great, uh, a great summary of uh, sleep. I think it's, as you said, it's important to try to get seven hours of uh, sleep. Uh, turn those electronics off an hour earlier. Try not to eat late in the evening. Um, small naps, 20 minutes uh, might be okay for uh, some people. Uh, again, another great, uh, great discussion. If, if you like our podcast and you like evidence-based medicine, please subscribe to our channel and please tell your friends about our podcast. Alan, do you have any other comments? No, I appreciate it. And everybody stay safe and healthy. Thank you.